Like so many of his contemporaries, de Quincey greatly admired the poet William Wordsworth, whose description he quotes of the famous Oxford Street Assembly Rooms called the Pantheon. Few, at the date of his first taste of opium, knew that Thomas de Quincey also had literary ambitions of his own. As the months passed, the student found himself making further sorties to the big city as a break from his studies, and for a little recreational drug use. His explorations of London's streets and his trips to the opera were made stranger and more appealing by doses of the drug available with such ease at any druggist's counter. He found himself traversing immense distances, for an opiumite is too happy to observe the motions of time. Inevitably, he got lost, but it seemed amusing rather than tedious. In these enjoyable early days as an opiumeater, he was still in control— I used to fix beforehand how often within a given time and when I would commit a debauch of opium. This was seldom more than once in three weeks, for at that time I could not have ventured to call every day, as I did afterwards, for a glass of laudanum negus, warm and without sugar. Laudanum was the liquid form of the drug, dissolved in alcohol, often consumed in warmed wine, and, like the pills de Quincey obtained from the druggist, there was nothing shameful or unusual about the sight or use of it in late Georgian London. Readily available medicines, such as Mother Bailey's Quieting Syrup, or Godfrey's Cordial, or Kendall Black Drop, sound beneficent, even health-giving, and yet the ingredient upon which they relied was poppy-based. Mrs. Beaton recommended that the wise housewife keep a good stock of opium in her cupboard. De Quincey's fellow users of opiates included the ultra-respectable and the creative— Florence Nightingale, Jane Morris, and Elizabeth Barrett Browning. He himself listed the opium eaters he knew as including the eloquent and benevolent, the late Dean of Blank, Lord Blank, Mr. Blank, the philosopher, a late Under-Secretary of State, and many others hardly less known, whom it would be tedious to mention. And opium eating was not limited to high society. De Quincey claimed that in Manchester, the city of his birth, Workpeople were rapidly getting into the practice of opium eating, so much so that on a Saturday afternoon the counters of the druggists were strewed with pills of one, two, or three grains in preparation for the known demand of the evening. Opium was cheap, and it was everywhere. As his locking about in London suggests, Thomas de Quincey was not a particularly conventional or diligent student. He'd experienced a period of homelessness before arriving in Oxford. In a fit of alienation, he'd left home, embarked upon a walking tour of Wales, spent all his money, and got into debt by borrowing against the expectations he had of a legacy. Estranged from his family, he ended up living in an empty house in Greek Street, Soho, comforted only by a prostitute named Anne of Oxford Street. But de Quincey had immense talent as a writer. After writing fan mail to William Wordsworth, he struck up an epistolary friendship with the writer whose lyrical ballads— assembled with Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and with some involvement from his sister Dorothy, had become the centrepiece of the Romantic movement. When he reached the end of his Oxford career, de Quincey performed brilliantly in the first day of his examinations, but lost his nerve and failed to show up on the second. Soon afterwards, he departed for the north to live in the Lake District, at what is today called Dove Cottage, a house upon Grasmere formerly rented by his hero Wordsworth. De Quincey lent money, when he had it, to his new friends in Grasmere, but then he fell into a deep depression after the death of Wordsworth's daughter Catherine, 
to whom he had become close and often passed the night upon her grave. His use of opium, which at first had been merely an occasional dip into an abyss of divine enjoyment, now became a daily necessity. The collection of dubcot.